0: Thank you, Bill. Well, it's a delight to be here. Oh, okay. I was like, was taking my mic away, but I do like, I don't want him to know my mic's right here. Oh, you got turned to turn it on? one thing I was okay. supposed to do. All <laughs> right. Are we working? Okay. We're working now. It is a great delight to be here uh, again tonight. And, um, you know, before coming to Tulsa, my knowledge of Oklahoma... You, you could put it in a thimble and and uh cut it down by one tenth. Uh I knew Oklahoma was above Texas. I knew I knew I knew boomer sooner because you, you can't escape Oklahoma football if you follow college football. And then my concept of Tulsa, I've told some this, but my concept of Tulsa, I'm going to Tulsa, all right. Flat, dry, tumbleweeds, cowboy hats, and cowboy boots. That, that's what I envisioned in coming. But, wow, has, I've been blown away by the beauty of this city. And uh, just to see, I mean, go down by the river and to see the history that's here. And the, went by the gathering place and went down to Ida Reds. In in Brookside, I said, this is a happening place. So uh, I'm I'm glad to be in a happening place in Tulsa. But this is a happening place in Tulsa. And it's a great, great delight and joy uh, to be here. I do bring uh, greetings from George Verber. I'm not just saying that. I, I was emailing with George about coming here. And, uh, and so George sends his greetings, and he also sent books. He said, you know, I mean, if you could hear his voice, Terry, do you want me to send you some books while you're at TCF? And I emailed back, and I said, yes, George, send some books. So the books have arrived, from what I understand. They're right back here on the, on the table, and uh, uh, I think the price is free. I mean, he sent them to give, so there they are back there. His latest book, Messiology. You know, George comes up with these verwerisms And uh, his latest is where two or three are gathered together, there's always going to be a mess. <laughs> and so life is a mess and we've got to learn to deal with our messes. So he wrote this book on messiology. How we're supposed to show so much grace to one another. Because all of us are a mess. All of us cause Messes. So anyway, George sends his greetings and he also uh, sends books. Now, uh, what I want to do now, I want to ask you for just a moment, just in getting the message started, I want to ask you to get together in groups of three or four. Just real quickly, uh, this is going to just, you'll be able to get back to your regular place in just a moment. But I wanted you to get together in small groups because we're, we're going to have a quote up here. And I want you to get together, groups of three or four. And I want you to, I'm going to read the quote, and then I just want you to discuss in your small group, just for a moment, um, do you agree or disagree with this quote? So here it is. Nobody ever died of discomfort, yet living in the name of comfort has killed more ideas, more opportunities, more actions, and more growth than everything else combined. Comfort Kills. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? In wine. So I just want you to discuss that briefly, uh, briefly in your small group. Take about thirty more seconds. Okay. Can't you know I, I can't say for certain I, I can't say for certain I've I've not heard a word from the Lord on this, but I think if Jesus were here tonight that he would agree with the last two words. Comfort kills. In the passage we're gonna look tonight, we're gonna see that comfort kills the witness of his people. Comfort kills the work of gathering the harvest of souls that is waiting to be gathered, whether it's across the street or the harvest that is around the world. But the good news is, Jesus does not leave us ensnared in the deadly trap of comfort. He reveals in the passage we're going to see tonight, a powerful tool that will break us loose so we can move from our comfort zones Into the harvest zone. So I want to ask you to take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, where we're going to see how to break loose from our comfort zones. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 35 and read down through verse 38. Now, I'm going to start in 32. 32. As they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, the first observation I want to make from this text is that people are precious to Jesus. People are precious to Jesus. Jesus gives us two pictures here that shows how much He values people. He talks about, He compares people to sheep and He compares people to crops. Now, if you were living in the Middle East back in this day, Your wealth could be measured by your sheep and your crops. If you had a lot of sheep, you were a wealthy person. If you had big crops in the field, you were a wealthy person. So these commodities were a measure of wealth. And so as Jesus pictures people as sheep and pictures them as a harvest, I think it's a way that Jesus is communicating to us, people are precious to me. People are valuable to me. I want to remind everybody sitting in this room tonight that you are precious to Jesus. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you may be facing. But let me say this, whatever it may be, you are precious to Jesus. And what you're going through right now, it matters to Jesus because you matter to Jesus. You are precious to Jesus. Jesus cares about people's troubles and trials. That's why we read here in verse 36 when it says He's seen the people, He felt compassion for them. He was moved with compassion. You, you could translate the Greek here. His stomach was tied in knots. His insides were just in turmoil as He saw the problems and the trials of the people. And He was in this kind of turmoil. He was moved with compassion because people are precious to Jesus. Now I want you to look at the person sitting next to you this evening. Look to your right or your left. Or right and left. Now no matter what you think about this person. Remember this. That person is precious to Jesus. So I want you to turn to somebody on your right. And say you're precious to Jesus. And Turn to somebody on your left and say you're precious to Jesus. Now the value that Jesus places on people is not confined to the people in in this house tonight. It's not confined to the people that are in his house, in his family. The people in your community are precious to Jesus. Whether they're grandmas or gangsters, whether they're doctors or druggies, everyone in your community is precious to Jesus. He cares about the things that are troubling them and weighing them down. Those around the world are precious to Jesus. The thousands of children wandering the streets of Sao Paulo are precious to Jesus. The families squatting next to the streams of sewage in the slums of Calcutta are precious to Jesus. The people living in the aids ravaged townships of South Africa are precious to Jesus. The refugees fleeing the violence in Syria are precious to Jesus. The little boys and girls of Laos and Cambodia that are being sold by their own parents to sex trafficking. would you turn to somebody and just say, everybody is precious to Jesus. And turn to somebody else and say, everybody is precious to Jesus. And the second observation I want to make from the text is that people are perishing without Jesus. Let's return to the two images of sheep And harvest. In Matthew 9.36. The text says. Seeing the people he felt compassion for them. And then we're given the reason. Because they were distressed. And dispirited. Like sheep. Without a shepherd. Some translations say. They were faint and scattered. Or they were distressed and downcast. Or they were harassed. And helpless. The picture here is a flock of sheep that has been attacked by hungry wolves and there is no one to protect them where's the shepherd and the wolves are chasing the sheep down and they're having their way they're chasing the sheep and they're grabbing the sheep and they're getting them in their jaws and they're shaking them around and they're throwing them to the ground and they're just standing over them Blood dripping from their mouth. And they're getting ready to devour the sheep. The sheep are about to perish. Because they don't have a shepherd. Then the other picture in verse 37. Jesus sees people as a harvest about to rot in the fields. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So it's harvest time. The grain is ready. The wheat is ready. Now's the time to move it in the fields and harvest the wheat. And the call goes out, Come harvest the wheat. But only a few show up. And because there's only few, the grain is going to rot and it's going to perish, and the crop is going to be lost. People are perishing. These two images give us a picture of the condition of every person who's without Christ. Our deadly problem is that we are born with a heart turned away from God and we follow our heart to go our way rather than God's way. Every one of us have said, God says, do something. We say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. And the result of that is that Satan and sin are about to devour us and destroy us. If we die without Christ, we'll be lost forever. Everyone without Jesus is perishing. But notice here, it's, it's not just a small number. They're vast multitudes. Vast multitudes are on the verge of perishing. Verse 36, my, my translation says, from the New American Standard, it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. The word is literally here, crowds or multitudes. So Jesus saw, Jesus saw these people, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people who are attacked by the wolves and about to perish. He saw this huge harvest ready to be harvested, but it's about to perish not insignificant numbers. I think God wants us to look through the eyes of Jesus at our local fields and our own. Now, I've heard uh, the way I've been hearing it. The south is the Bible Belt, and Oklahoma is the the buckle on the belt. I mean, that's what I've been hearing since I got up here. Now, Now, some folks in Georgia may claim, we're the buckle of the belt. Some folks in South Carolina may claim we're the buckle of the belt. If you want to claim to be the buckle of the belt, that's fine. Whether we're buckle or just belt, here's the reality. In Georgia, the state of Georgia, seven out of ten people, it's estimated, without a Savior. Seven out of ten. That means in the state of Oklahoma, if those percentages held true, I looked it up on Google. Y'all have almost 4 million people in the state. But that means almost 3 million of the people in the state of Oklahoma are perishing. Then look through the eyes of Jesus beyond your local field or the global fields, I think of a, a people group called the Mimi. This has nothing to do with grandmas. There's a, there's a tribal group in, in eastern Chad near the border with Sudan. They're called the Mimi people. 70,000 people make up this nation, okay? This, this ethnic, this people group, 70,000 people. There's no church among the Mimi. There's no known believers among the Mimi. There's no Jesus film available for the Mimi. There's no scriptures in the language of the Mimi. There are no known workers among the Mimi. So here's a nation of people. You could could pack all of them into Memorial Stadium over in Norman. The entire nation could be put into that stadium. All of them are perishing. And when you consider that's just one people group among almost 6,000 different people groups in the world that have... No access to the gospel or very little access to the gospel. Beloved, the situation today is the same. The harvest is still great, multitudes are still perishing. But Jesus came to do something about it, He came to be the good shepherd. Who laid down his life for his sheep. No man takes my life from me, he said. I lay it down willingly. Why did he do that? Because the only way that our sin could be paid for, our sin could be forgiven, would be if he would die as our substitute and pay for our sins in our place to prove that his Sacrifice was enough. Three days later, He was raised from the dead. And He says, Whoever believes in Me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came to do something about it. And then at the end of this Gospel, Matthew, He sends His workers to do something about it. He sends His disciples to do something about it. When He said, Go and make disciples in all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Get to the harvest fields. Has it changed? The harvest is great. Labors are few then. The harvest is still great. And the labors are still few today. There are very few workers. Jesus says in 937, the harvest is great, the workers are few. Few were joining with him then, and not much is different today. I think you found out Wednesday night. I'm associated with Baptists. I am a Jesus follower. That is, that, I mean, that's I am a Jesus follower. I happen to go to a, a Southern Baptist Church. Uh, And Southern Baptists are known for being evangelistic. They're also known for keeping really good statistics about what's going on in in their convention. It's not looking good right now. Southern Baptists are basically flatlining right now when it comes to growth. And so somebody did a study within Southern Baptists, which they're real good at doing. I'm not not knocking that. It's great to to give us an idea of where things are at. But they... In their research, they discovered that the average Southern Baptist church member witnesses to an unbeliever once every 28 years. Once every 28 years. This comes from a denomination that's known for being evangelistic. So, when it comes to world missions, only 5% of the missionaries are going to the over 3 billion people that have little or no opportunity to hear the gospel. 95% are going to where the gospel is already available. Now, I'm not knocking those going where the gospel is already available, but something's got to change, something's got to be done. There need to be more workers going to the three billion that have little or no opportunity to hear the gospel. Now, as I, as I was studying this passage, I asked myself the question, why are there so few workers joining Jesus in his rescue operation? And Jesus uses a word. When he gets to the solution, he uses a word that I think gives a clue. Now I know y'all have some scholars here. And so I'm 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 throwing this out there tonight. Uh, I hope it's an appropriate exegesis of the text. But in Matthew nine thirty-eight, Jesus says, "Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest." So there's a solution. We're going to look at the solution. But I want us to focus on this word, send out. Now, here's the reason I started in verse 32 earlier. The Greek word is ekbalo, all right? Pray the Lord of the harvest is going to ekbalo workers into the harvest. All right? This same word, ekbalo, is used several times in the context. Go back up to chapter 9, verse 32. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was Balo, he was cast out. The mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed, were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel, but the Pharisees were, were saying, he Ekbalo's demons by the ruler of the demons. Ekbalo. And then if you go to chapter 10... Verse 1, Jesus summoned the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to follow them in to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. What I find interesting here is, all right, it, it says cast out, cast out, cast out, cast out. Why didn't the translators, when they came to Matthew 9, 38, why didn't they say cast out demons? Because that's the word. It's a word that, that shows force. It's a word that, that shows that somebody is being made to do something against their will. So when I saw that, I began, all right, I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm trying to think here. All right. Is there a way that Christians can be like demons that we need to be cast out into the harvest? So go with me to Matthew chapter 12. which describes for us a demon that has been cast out of someone. And I want us to notice, I want us to notice what the demon is looking for when he's been cast out. Matthew 12, verse 43. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking, what's the next word in your translation? Rest. Rest. He's been cast out. They said, Man, I want to find a place where I can rest. And it doesn't find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came out. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. So here the demon is, is cast out. And now what is it? He wants to find a place where he can rest, where he can take it easy, where he can do what he wants it to do, where it, things are in order and there's 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 no chaos for him. Now, he's going to bring chaos to somebody else. But that's okay. If everything is nice and comfortable for him, it doesn't matter. So in look at this, I said, I wonder if what happens is this, that Jesus, in giving the solution, which is pray, that the Lord's going to... He's going to cast out workers into the harvest. We've got to be cast out because we like to get settled down in our comfort zones. And we don't want to get out there into the harvest. We don't want to get out there and fight off wolves. And then when I started looking at the context here of Matthew 10, I realized, well, Jesus identifies several comfort zones that keep people out of the fields. Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. The comfort zone of money. Do not acquire gold or copper or silver for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Why does Jesus have to say, Don't don't worry about money? Don't you know just he's trying to get them to trust in him. It's because Jesus knows how much we depend on money and how much we depend on our stuff. There's the comfort zone of money. Anytime someone begins to sense a call to missions and they start thinking about, does that mean I'm gonna to have to leave my job? I'm going to have to give up my house. I'm going to have to give up nice things I've got. And a lot of times the answer is yes. You're going to have to come out of that comfort zone and learn to trust me and walk by faith. Raise your support. There's that comfort zone of of money. There's a comfort zone of safety. Matthew 10, verses 16-16. In 17, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you'll even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Most of those three billion that have little or no opportunity to hear the gospel, they are in dangerous places. There's dangers of government. There's dangers from extremists. There's dangers from health conditions. There's the comfort zone of safety. And then there's the comfort zone of family. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. To follow the Lord, to follow Jesus into the harvest fields, oftentimes means leaving family, friends. You know, since I started working with OM, I, I've, I've, learned, I, I've seen more about the, the, the flip side of that. It's not just the sacrifice of those who go, but there's a sacrifice of those who release them to go. Adult children are called and they're taking the grandchildren. Children, you you can go, the grandchildren? That's a whole different ballgame. You're going to take my grandchildren where? I went to seminary at Columbia Biblical Seminary is what it's called. I met uh, who was it? Night? Uh, yeah, uh, they were there. When it was Columbia Graduate School of Bible Missions. That's what it was called then. But the president was Robertson McQuilkin, great missionary statesman. I'll never forget. He told us in class one time, in his experience, the biggest hindrance to Christian young people going to the mission field was Christian parents. That floored me. That floored me when he said. It. But he said, "What it is? It's the parents want their children to get a nice job, make money, and and give your money to missions. But don't go. Don't you go? Don't don't take the grandchildren with you. Just stay here and support missions. Missionaries need support. You just stay here and do that. So there's that that comfort zone of family. So we've got we've got." Money reaching up saying, don't go. We got dangers reaches up saying, don't go. We got family reaching up saying, don't go. Stay in your comfort zone where you can rest and be at ease, and life's gonna be a lot more orderly. But Jesus gives a way to move people out of their comfort zones into the harvest zones. And that's the solution. In verse 38, Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to cast out workers from their comfort zones. I added something there. But you, you get the gist? To cast out workers from their Comfort zones into the harvest. The word beseech here is a strong word. In some places in Scripture, it's actually translated where uh, a man with a demon-possessed son came to Jesus and, and one translation says, Jesus, please, please do something for my son. There's a beseeching it's, it's the idea of please, but it's not a polite, oh, please. Please pass the salt. Or Please, Lord. Send out workers. But there's a sense of urgency because we see people are perishing. Please, Lord, you've got to do something. You're the Lord of the harvest. Lord, break people loose. Cast workers out thrust them out into the harvest fields. This is the earth-shaking, history-making, comfort zone-breaking way to see people sent out when we pray with passion and urgency. Lord, send out workers. There's a lot of other things that can happen to get workers out there. But it begins with prayer. I know that because that's where Jesus said to start. What's the solution? Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. It starts with prayer. I want you to think about it this way. Think of a mechanic who's working on a car engine. Okay? Got his ratchet wrench, and he's taking some bolts out of the engine. One minute, is that? No, one minute. There, now. Getting those boy gets one bolt out, lays it down. Gets another bolt out, lays it down. That bolt ain't turning. Oh, they ain't come and lose. Goes and gets his WD-40. Everything he gets fixed with WD-40 duct tape, right? All right. So he gets a WD-40. Sprays it on there. And you know, you got to put a bunch on that. Puts it on there. Let's it sit a little bit. Puts that ratchet wrench back on there. Ah, Oh, there. Broke it loose. Got that thing out. When we pray, when we pray, it's like God spraying WD 40 on our hearts because when we pray god releases his spirit to dissolve the corrosion of coziness that rust our hearts into a lifestyle of convenience so when we pray god goes to work in people's hearts to break them free from their comfort zones And so we pray, Lord, send out workers. Send out workers. Send out workers, Lord. Cast them out. Now here's what I find happens when I pray that way. Lord, send them out. Break them loose. Send them out. Break them loose. Send them out, Lord. And I start to see the comfort zones in my own life. I see the corrosion of coziness in my own life. Now I've got to turn that WD-40 on my heart and say, Lord Jesus, I so love comfort. There's things I know you want me to do. There's things I know you want me to say. And Lord, I stay in my comfort zone. Oh, Jesus, please, Lord. Please, Lord, break my heart loose from desiring comfort More than you, loving comfort more than you. Please, Lord, I don't want to stay in the comfort zone. I want to be out there. I want to be out there as a harvester. I want to be out there as a shepherd. I want to be out there to rescue the perishing. So, Lord, do something in me. Do something. Beloved, this church. Y'all, I mean, really. This church has been so blessed with the way God has been using you. The people that have gone out from this congregation. God's hand has been on this place already. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I didn't come up here expecting this. Week. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to bring them some new truth and new insights. And they're going to hear something they had never heard before. And I'm just coming up here to remind you of things you already know. Just don't stop doing what you've been doing. Because the harvest is still great. And the workers are still few. Keep on praying and asking God to send out laborers from the harvest, uh, from, from Tulsa Christian Fellowship. And maybe you already do it. I don't know. But what I do on Thursdays and Fridays, on Thursdays, I pray for all the churches I'm aware of in my county pray for for my church and I pray for our church the churches in my county that I know of. And I, I pray that God'll bless my sister churches in my county. And I, I I'm praying that God's gonna make Fayette County a sending county. And then on Fridays I pray for the churches on the south side of Atlanta that I'm familiar with. Start up in South Fulton County and then come down in the churches in Coweta County and churches down in Spalding County and Churches down in Clayton County and churches in Henry County and then back up to Fulton County. I say, Lord, bless these churches. And Lord, make the south side of Atlanta a sending region. Send out workers because workers are needed. But workers are needed right here in your own local harvest field, too. Every church needs more workers. And Jesus gives the solution. The harvest is great. The labors are few. What do we do, Lord? It starts, pray to the Lord of the harvest to cast out workers into the harvest field in these streets around Tulsa, Christian. still need to hear about Jesus. The difference between Bob in Tulsa and Muhammad in Oman is that Bob has the gospel accessible. Muhammad in Oman does not have the gospel accessible. But they all need Jesus if they don't have him as the Savior. So As we conclude, I just want to remind you, you're precious to Jesus. The submission work may need to occur right here tonight. I never go into church assuming everybody knows the Lord because I know what the Bible, there's a lot of folks that think they're saved when they're not. So I know there's a lot of saved folks here tonight. There could be somebody that doesn't truly know Jesus. I was a, a... Baptized. Church on the roll. Church member. But I didn't know Jesus until I was 18 years old. And You can be baptized. You can be catechized. You can be sanitized. You could have been through all the isms and isms that they've been through. There's only one thing that brings us into a right relationship with the living God. And that's through faith alone, in Christ alone, who is the sacrifice for our sins, alive from the dead. And he says, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know him tonight? If not, I invite you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. And then I guess I would say, you know, as we look at the solution here to workers, are you willing to turn the WD-40 on your own heart? Say, Lord, where's the, where's the corrosion in my life? Where, where has my life been rusted into a lifestyle of convenience? Lord, work in, work in me. Lord, set me free. Fill my mouth with your word so I can be a worker. If it's in the nursery, if it's on the streets, if it's teaching a Sunday school class, if it's whatever it is that needs to be done, Lord, I'm willing to get involved. I've been sitting on the sidelines. I'm willing to get involved. Pray for yourself. And then say, Lord, there's still so many that are perishing among the nations. Send out more workers. Lord, do something about the only 5%. Jack it up, Lord. Jack it up, Lord. Get 20% of them out there. However percent many you want to get out there, Lord. See, we know it's going to happen. That's the good news. It's going to happen. The gospel's going to go to everybody. But He uses our prayers to partner with Him And making it happen. So just keep partnering with him. Like you're already doing. Okay. Let's just bow for a word of prayer. Jesus we thank you tonight. That you didn't stay in the comfort zone. You left the glory. And the splendor of heaven. You are king of kings. You are lord of lords. The angels worshipped and adored you. But we thank you that you left that comfort zone. Because you saw us perishing. And you went from being the king of kings to the pauper of paupers. He who is rich became poor for our sakes. By taking our sin. So Lord, thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying in our place. We thank you that you got up out of the grave. You have all authority. All authority is yours. So you've told us to go and make disciples of all the nations. So Lord, we just say again with Isaiah. Here my I, send me. And Lord, where, wherever we're comfortable, break us loose. Because you've got so much more. You can use us in such deeper ways, wider ways. Lord Jesus, don't let us limit what you want to do through us by clinging to our comfort zones. Break us loose, Lord. Break... TCF's loose in even greater ways than you've already been doing it. Lord, we ask You again, Lord of the harvest, send out workers. Three billion. Three billion. Lord, we can't conceive of that, but we know multitudes are perishing. Send out workers, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.